Hey listeners, just wanted to let you know that our audio in this episode is a little funky. We are a DIY podcast and we're (laughs) doing our best, but we just wanted to let you know that we are working on it. We do know it's an issue and we're uh, making sure that that doesn't happen again. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode brought to you by the letter U. This is brought to you by the letter. Oh yeah, with Carly and Kelsey. I'm Carly. And I'm Kelsey. And this is a podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z. That's right. Yes. In that order. In that order. So we want to learn things about stuff. Sometimes they're serious, like last week, if you tuned in last week. Sometimes they're super fun, like psychedelic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're super science-y, like quicksand. Mm. Yep. What's going on there? <laughs> what's happening? What's happening? And what's that about? Yeah. <laughs> you know how often you ask yourself that yeah. question? Listen yeah. and you'll learn about yeah. it. But um, yeah, so we are on you. I have said this comment before that I feel I always get the ho- uh, this first time around we alternate. You know, this is our first time around. We're on you. We're almost at the end. We're in the home stretch. But I feel like I get all the hard letters. Because I got Q, I got I, I have U. Um, yeah, that's true. So. Uh, yeah, and X. Mm-hmm. But, and Z. I have Z. Oh. No, no, then I have X. So you have, okay, so I shouldn't say that. So I'm like in the, well, you know. Either way, we're going to switch yeah. next time. So it's going to be super fun. Yes. Should we talk about our change in format for next season? Sure. So Carly and I have been talking, mm-hmm. and we've been talking with you guys and about what we- yeah, and we haven't been talking. You know, we do also talk, like, not... On this podcast. Yeah, we do. You know, we're... we're we talk off mic. Off off the record. And um, we think we're going to change up the format just a little bit. Don't worry. You're still going to hear both of our mm-hmm. lovely voices. Yes. But we're thinking about releasing season two every two weeks instead of every week so that we can make sure to get all the content yeah. together, get some more tighter content, get... Potentially incorporate some interviews or guests. So we are actively working on that. Um, We will be taking a a small break after our Z episode of season one. And we will be returning in a month. And so the episode for season two, the first episode for season two, I believe will release on December 2nd. Yes. So hold on to your butts for that. Um, so yeah, we're we're not done yet. So we got more content coming your way oh, up yeah. through October. A buttload yeah. of content. So uh, even through no. Oh yeah, we're taking all of yes. November off. That's right. Yeah, yeah Thanksgiving time yeah. for f- thinking about how thankful we are for you guys oh, and the pod because yeah. this pod is our life. Yes. We never leave. Pod is life. Pod is life. Pod life. <laughs> we would love to. Once you listen to a couple of those, love to hear how it's going. If you like it. Just stay tuned for that, and uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and all that other jazz that you do to make sure we are an averagely successful podcast with a good listenership, because, you know, you're awesome. We just want more more people like you. Exactly. Sweet. So, anything going on that that you want to chit-chat about? I mean, not really. I had, like, a really good dinner with a friend. Nice! And I love when, like, you're... 
first of all, love one-on-ones because mm-hmm. I'm just better. You don't have to manage all the personalities. It was just like really refreshing to have a nice like dinner with mm-hmm. a friend going out and like talking. And, and you haven't for, like, seen them in a while. I haven't talked. I haven't seen them in a while. We haven't really hung out one-on-one since college. Yeah. So it was just really nice. nice. And it was just, just felt like we connected and we like stayed there for like four hours. <laughs> awesome. I have an update. I don't remember when I said this, but I said I was pining for watermelon pepperomia and I have one now. Humble brag. Birthday present from my boy. So thanks, Ty. I never call him that. Thank you. But I have my watermelon pepperomia plant. So Honestly, every time I think you're going to say pepperoni, all what? I can imagine is little pepperoni-sized pepperoni, like uh, not little pepperoni-sized, pepperoni-sized watermelon slices is what I envision. So cute. Adorable. I want also, that. I want, I want them that. in like an eraser. Yeah. <gasps> oh, oh, we should add that to our merch, our potential, our, our potential merch ideas. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No. Uh, that's gonna be yeah, going on. No. Yeah. That's about it. It's almost yeah. your birthday. I know. We well, about my birthday. It's almost your birthday. Yeah. It. Yes, our birthdays are almost two weeks w- apart. Yeah, it's like a, a week less. and a half. I think. I know it's two days short of being two weeks away from my birthday because mm-hmm. my dating anniversary with my husband is the 14th of September of September mm-hmm. and which is two days before your birthday. And then my birthday is on the 28th. So it's just like two weeks, September. Date, two weeks, date, 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 or it's date. Yeah. Yes. Date, date for anniversary, two weeks. And then yes, he takes me out for, my birthday. There you go. It's the it's the September of love. I love September. I uh, yeah. again. Sorry, I'll that is in September. I uh, um. That's what we should have looked up. Well, you okay? So it's so interesting. Like I was being a nerd as I am, and I was like, well, actually, technically, my birthday isn't really in fall. Because technically, fall is the 22nd of September. Don't be a fucking nerd, Carly. So technically, I have a summer birthday, but it's really, I mean. You're lying to yourself if you think you have a summer birthday. I know, I'm not lying to myself. Because also, I know I have a summer. Summer is, there is the summer, Mm -hmm. like the the time frame. Exactly. But once you start school, you're not a summer birthday anymore. Exactly. Because you're in school so but i you don't I, get to have the same yeah. summer birthday woes that like for <gasps> instance sienna and tessa have my sisters yeah because you you always get to bring cupcakes to the class or whatever but kelsey when i was 16 or 17 you threw me a summertime surprise birthday party That's in true. august i did it was so fun i forgot about that was that your 16th birthday i think it was my 17th because oh. my 16th, I definitely, like, planned it myself. And it was, like, my first, like, boy and girl pool party. So it was, like... Oh, my god! Yeah. So for me, it was a big deal. And it was super fun. I remember both parties were super fun. You're like, I don't want to brag. I don't want to brag, but... But I have good parties. I, I do. I know. You have yeah. a pool. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, good times. I think there's, like, a picture or video of me, and I'm like... <gasps> and I'm like, my clay cheekbone face is like on point of like i feel like i remember like <laughs> i was points. wearing like a volleyball t-shirt because yes. i think i probably had preseason or something i think we silly stringed you yeah that's why that's it that's it that's mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. my gosh mm-hmm. mems oh wow. oh the mems oh the mems yeah but anywho do you want me to start i can tell you what i'm doing 
and I can teach yes, you about it. Yes, I would it. love for you to start. I am going to teach you about the untouchables brought to you by the letter U. Now, there are two different untouchables. I'm going to be talking about the untouchables that deal with the Chicago crime boss, Al Capone. <gasps> the Chicago crime uh-huh. boss! Yes. yes! So there's another untouchables, which are, I believe, like lowest class people in India. In the caste system. The yeah. caste system, correct. So, not talking about that. Maybe we could talk about that sometime. But we're talking about the untouchables. So, when I decided this is what I was going to do... I actually watched the 1987 movie, The Untouchables, starring Kevin Costner, uh, Sean Connery, who has just like such an interesting <laughs> voice. Uh, Tammy One is in it. Tammy One. <laughs> I forget oh, yeah. her act- actress name. And, oh, um, of course, the lovely um, Robert De Niro as Al Pacino. So I watched this movie. I was like, okay, like, let me like get informed on what this is about and then i did the research and i was like wow this movie is super fictionalized and not (laughs) really what happened but sometimes you just need a little bit of entertainment sometimes you do so let's go and i'll tell you let me just go tell me because i know actually nothing about this well and by nothing i mean i know who al capone is and that's it yes so because you had a brief stint Philadelphia. He was in jail in Philadelphia. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, at Eastern State Penitentiary. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I did know that. He mm-hmm. did die in Alcatraz, though, and he was super crazy from syphilis. He got yes. syphilis. And, yes, yeah. he was the one that got syphilis. Yep. Okay. Yep. We're not going to talk too much about it. We'll talk a little bit about Al Capone. But anyways, the story of The Untouchables starts with a man named Elliot Ness. So, a.k.a. Kevin Costner. So, he was born and bred in Chicago in 1903 to two responsible middle-class Norwegian immigrant parents who owned... Oh. Wait. Responsible (laughs) Norwegian parents? What does that mean? They were just very, like... They were very, like, um... Good people? Yeah. All right. Okay. Wholesome? Exactly. His parents owned and ran a bakery. As a child, Elliot worked in the bakery, delivered newspapers, was a good student, enjoyed reading, and specifically loved mysteries. He always... Yeah, me too. Same. Yeah, it's so good. He was always weirdly, like, dressed up when he was younger. (laughs) Aw, he was a kid with, like, the brief Yeah, in class. Yes. You'll learn... That he's kind of like a goody two shoes guy, kind of. Um, even when he got older. So, oh my gosh, did you know that my dad, um, on his first day of kindergarten, brought a briefcase to school? No, that's so cute. It was a little briefcase too. It was a baby briefcase. That's so cute. That's so freaking cute. <laughs> Isn't that adorable. All right, I love it. But because he was so dressed up, his peers called him elegant mess instead of Elliot. Elliot Ness. Oh, I kind of like that. I know. That's like a good blog or something. Right? Yeah, like they should. Or, yeah, yeah, like, like a, a band name or something. Oh my gosh, Elegant totally, Ness. totally. So when his oldest sister, Clara, married a man named Alexander Jamie, who worked for the U.S. Treasury Department in the Prohibition Bureau, Ness found his greatest role model in this guy, Jamie. Aww. So Jamie helped encourage his passion for stories of law enforcement and detective work, as well as teaching him how to fire a gun. Pew, pew. In 1928, when Ness's studies in political science, commerce, business administration, and criminal justice were complete, Jamie 
his brother-in-law, who was now the chief investigator in the Prohibition Bureau, brought Ness into work as an agent. So you mentioned and defined nepotism last week, and so prime example right here. (laughs) There you go. Um, Eventually, this guy, Alexander Jamie, would rise to the position of head of the Chicago branch of the FBI. So, a little quick story about Ness, but let's backtrack a tad and dive deeper into Prohibition. Yes. Hey, see, let's go down to the speakeasy and yeah. get a little finger of gin. And then you, everyone dances like this with their finger up. <laughs> Come on, get happy. I love speakeasy stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's pretty cool. It's always a good time. So, Prohibition is known as the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which banned the manufacture, transportation, and sale of liquor. Prohibition officially went into effect on January 17th, my sister's birthday, 1920. (laughs) You're giving out all the info. (laughs) With the passage of the Volstead Act. So, like, the Volstead Act is the act that created Prohibition. Prohibition was inspired by a wave of religious movements in the United States during the 1820s, actually. So, like, the the idea started a really long time, almost a thousand years before. Yeah. Or a hundred years <laughs> before it actually happened. Thousands and thousands <laughs> of years. Yeah. But it was, um, so these type of, like, ideas were known as the perfectionist movements, as in, like, you have to be so perfect in order to be a good christian or whatever so in 1838 massachusetts passed a temperance law temperance meaning abstinence from alcoholic drink so that's well all. we know how well abstinence works uh, i'm sorry exactly. i'm sorry <laughs> no that was good that was good <laughs> sorry no, that was good. i hate that word abstinence like uh just shut yeah. up just fuck up <laughs> So, <laughs> Massachusetts passed this temperance law banning the sale of spirits, which is, this is so funny to me, banning the sale of spirits in less than 15 gallon quantities. So, if you want to buy your booze, you have to buy 15 gallons. I want Minimum. To, I only want to buy my alcohol in water cooler size. Yeah, exactly. That's probably not even, that's probably like six gallons, right? Like, how big is a water cooler? It's probably, that's probably accurate. Like, like the guys who like, you like yep. have to, and then they like plug it into your <laughs> thing like, for you. Buy a barrel of I it. I know. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Exactly. A barrel. Cause Wait, that, why does that make sense? Who knows? Who knows? Because maybe is so inefficient. Maybe sometimes. and now this was the 1800s, so maybe people couldn't afford it. So that's their thought or something. And maybe it was just uh, for like personal consumption. Maybe it was for it. like restaurant or saloon or in the rich 18- people. Exactly. So the, this law though was like repealed like two years after. So. Yeah, because everybody was like, <laughs> no. Maine was the first state actually to pass like a state level prohibition law in 1846. And a number of other states followed suit by the time the Civil War began in 1861. Like, these kind of ideas were kind of circulating always, since the 1800s. They were all dancing around it. Exactly. At the turn of the century, temperance societies were common in communities across the United States. Women primarily played a big role in these movements as alcohol was seen as a destructive force in families and marriages, which is kind of true, which is sad. It's not kind of true. Yes. In 1906, new attacks began on the sale of liquor, 
led by the Anti-Saloon League, which is kind of funny. <laughs> the Anti-Saloon <laughs> League. <laughs> this is the Anti-Saloon League. And they, like, pull out their little guns. And they pull up to the um, baseball diamond and play there. <laughs> that's just, like, what that's like what I think of, like, a league. But oh, back, oh, my god! No, 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 but back in the day, like, groups were called leagues. The Anti-Saloon League created these uh, anti-attacks on liquor as a reaction to urban growth. The evangelical Protestants viewed saloon culture as corrupt and ungodly, and factory owners supported prohibition to prevent alcohol-related accidents like during work and also to increase the efficiency of their workers. So that doesn't sound like America at all. (laughs) So, you know, there were people who, like, supported it. Enforcement of prohibition was initially given to the internal Revenue Service, a.k.a. IRS, which I just think is so funny. (laughs) The IRS had to handle that? At first. (laughs) And then they lost the job, didn't they? Yes, they they immediately did. They did a bad job, didn't they? Sorry, IRS. Please don't audit me. (laughs) Right? This duty was later transferred to the Justice Department and the Bureau of Prohibition. So, generally... Prohibition was more strongly enforced in areas where the population was, like, in agreement with the laws, mainly in rural areas and small towns, and enforced much more, like, loosely in urban areas. Like, makes sense, right? Prohibition actually saw a lot of early signs of success, including a decline in arrests for drunkenness and a 30% drop in alcoholic consumption. So, as we know, even with these new laws and legislation, prohibition was difficult to enforce like 100 percent you know there was an increase in illegal production and sale of liquor which is known as bootlegging speakeasies what we just mentioned or illegal and hidden sometimes hidden drinking spots were also frequent that must have been so fun though i know to like creep around and i know drink and also like that time like i feel like everything like I was just saying, like finger finger wagon dancing. You got your flappers. You got so your. Just what they did for ten years. You imagine just yes. Ah, hello, my baby. Hello, hello my darling. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So people would also make their own alcohol, aka moonshine or bathtub gin. <laughs> bathtub gin, <laughs> not Jim. Jim. <laughs> In the bathtub gyms, that guy can't seem oh, to get out of my bathroom for some reason. Oh yeah, poor bathroom gin. Yeah. My mom talked about, like, in college, she remembers people making bathtub gin. Yeah. And I was like, ew. Yeah, gross. I'm sorry, ew. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. I did drink someone's homemade wine that they made out of, like, juice, which mm-hmm. I guess, and it tasted okay. It definitely tasted homemade. Like, it was very strong and not that good, but whatever. Actually, my grandma makes wine. Really? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Her grapes in the... I know, isn't it so tender? She's so tender. So notoriously, the Prohibition era encouraged the rise of organized crime associated with bootlegging. Here enters Al Capone, who earned a whopping $60 million yearly from bootlegging and speakeasies. I know. It's disgusting. $60 million? I am assuming that's then money, so I didn't even translate that to... I'm, like, literally drooling on Mackie. Yeah, that is ridiculous. That's so much money. So in 1928, Capone was at the height of his reign, and the only way he could go was down. 
from there. Oh, poor buddy. Yeah. He well, had, I guess he was a dick. So. Yeah, he killed a lot of people. So <laughs> <laughs> he tried to leave Chicago to actually expand his like empire, but it failed. Chicago chief of police put hundreds of more officers on the streets and that kind of help monitor mob activity more. So they had to be a little more sneaky with their doings. And future U.S. President Herbert Hoover was determined to book Capone and get him un- behind bars. So at this time, Hoover oh. was... Oh, I didn't write down I what like, he was, but he wasn't president yet. He was just like uh-oh. working for the FBI or something. I don't remember. I didn't write it down. I like dream of a time where like a president's biggest mission is like the Chicago crime boss. <laughs> yeah. Getting fucking liquor across the line. Like, you know. Yeah. I yearned for that. I know, right? At this point. So Hoover brought in U.S. attorney George E.Q. Johnson to help. And in turn, Johnson tapped into the Treasury Department, Chief Elmer Irie and IRS agent Frank Wilson to launch a detailed investigation into Capone's financials. So remember those two guys. We will come back there in a minute. But getting to untouchables, the freaking point of this story, (laughs) the second point of Johnson's operation was to attack them where it hurts and assault Capone's actual operations. So he recruited our good boy Ness and asked him to put together a team. Ness was known as a, quote, boy scout who could not be corrupted or bribed. Aww. At this time, I know, <laughs> in Chicago, a ton of law enforcement officers were actually on Al Capone's payroll. So, like, a lot of corrupt <gasps> cops, including possibly the mayor. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yes. But Ness turned down an offer of $2,000 a week, which is almost as much as he earned in a year, from Capone himself. Whoa, tried to be- you don't say no to Capone. <laughs> well, he did. Except for Mr. Boy Scout over here. Exactly. It is reported that Ness said, I may only be a poor baker's son, but Elliot Ness can't be bought. Not for 2000 a week, 10000 or 100000 Not for all the money they'll ever lay their scummy hands on. End quote. <laughs> like, okay, though. <laughs> you can't be bought. You can always be bought. <laughs> That's the truth. There's always a price. True. Very true. Everybody has a price. It may be unfathomably high. He was just he was just all about law and order and or justice. That's how the, or then that's when they get family involved. Mm-hmm. Break the kneecaps of your yep. uncle. Yep. Oh, are you about to tell me that? No. Okay, but, cool. But I've been watching, I've told you this, I've been watching a lot of um, The Sopranos. and Oh, yeah. Just, We're about to start The Sopranos. It's I'm just excited. so good. I'm... They're making, I think I might have told you this, they're making a movie, I think it comes out in October about like it's a prequel to the series and the main actor james gandolfini's son is playing tony soprano yes yes so freaking cool and like they just released another trailer and so so good good. so good so ness's team was formed of a dozen men including himself who he handpicked from over 50 applicants these men like ness have proof that they could not be intimidated or bribed so he described these men in his autobiography They should be single, no older than 30, with both the mental and physical stamina to work long hours and the courage and ability to use fist or gun and special investigative techniques. I need a good telephone man, one who can tap a wire with speed and precision. I need men who were excellent drivers, for much of our success would depend upon how expertly they could tail the mobs, cars, and trucks, and fresh faces from other divisions who were not known to 
the Chicago Mobsters. This band of tough guys were immediately named the Untouchables by a Chicago newspaper. The name stuck and Ness and his Untouchables made headlines. While they did succeed in pissing off Capone, they were basically a PR stunt. Interestingly enough. Oh, really? Yes. So, at this time, Capone... Did they know that they were a PR stunt? Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of. Sort of. I'll get into it. Okay. Cool, as, cool. as we do. So, at this time, Capone was actually loved by the media. Like, they fucking... And this is true of the movie. Did like, they feel like Robin Hoodie? Yes, actually. Yes. Yes. So... That makes sense. So, in the Untouchables movie... They they kept showing like multiple scenes where like all these news people you know were interviewing Capone and I was like was he because like to me it's like you wouldn't go to the head mobster with like a bunch of te- like news crews right, and like right. interview him but apparently that was true like they loved to talk to him because he could always be relied upon for a cleverly worded soundbite like he was like funny and like yeah quippy exactly oh i love it but the untouchables changed the narrative to one of the straight up good guys versus gangster bad guys so the the pr thing was like they rebranded al capone exactly (laughs) like capone was on the wrong side he was on the bad guy's side so it kind of became like a good versus evil sort of thing so capone mainly made his money in breweries that produced his illegal liquor. So Ness and his men immediately began to stake out the speakeasies where Capone's booze was sold and then followed those like delivery trucks back with the barrels back to their origin, a.k.a. the breweries. So once they were able to identify a brewery, Ness would use a shock tactic of smashing through the brewery's doors with a flatbed truck with a snowplow mounted on the front. <laughs> oh my god. AKA gosh. the PR shit why oh why he gosh. became such a big deal. So the surprise attack of these raids gave those in the building no time to get away and no warning. Like they just like busted bussing through wow. like the fucking Kool-Aid. Did they man. kill people? Nope. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. So um Ness at least not according to my research. <laughs> so, Ness and the Untouchables destroyed stockpiled barrels of beer and whiskey and literally poured the contents into the ground. Like, they just, like, How many people out. do you think were, like, had a cup on the end, other end, like, <laughs> probably? Yike. Yeah, probably a good amount, right? So, I'd be like, oh, just, can I just, um, let I'm me gonna, just, let me just, <laughs> like a waterfall. Like a little curly straw going into the back end of the barrel. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, no, don't worry about it. So Capone and his men reorganized. They were no longer safe to operate out in the open. The large trucks that they used to deliver the alcohol were swapped to a less efficient, like, regular-ass car, which we're talking oh, 1930s no. car, which is, you know. You can't transport anything in no, there. No, exactly. You can it, transport a six-pack. <laughs> exactly. You could only carry four barrels at a time. Damn. So... This made his delivery methods slower and left many speakeasies completely dry because they couldn't get stocked them, you know, quick enough, basically. So through Ness's wiretaps, it revealed that Capone was rattled and, like, pissed off, which, like, I get it. I bet he saved that and he was like, I'm going to make that my Mm. ringtone later (laughs) for the future. I'm really scared and pissed. <laughs> I don't know. Love it. That's exactly what happened. Kelsey. How do you know? I wrote that, I wrote that right here. 
Capone was like, if they couldn't be bribed or strong armed, then what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, what are my options? That's what I've done this right. whole time. Right, right, right. So apparently, two of the untouchables had packets of money thrown at them through their car windows, and they were res- like by the mob, and they responded by chasing down their surprise benefactors and threw the money back at them. <gasps> yeah. There were attempts on Ness's life and the lives of his men, but oh, Ness's no. response was to continue his attacks. He like never like he was such a stickler for truth and yeah. justice. Yeah, straight um, and narrow. Exactly. He even organized, this is kind of funny and petty, a parade of Capone's liquor delivery trucks that they confiscated oh, to be my driven gosh. past his hotel like a bat is awesome i know <laughs> i love this guy i was i was a little bit like oh what a try hard again what a good she's I mean, annoying and then okay yeah. i fucking love this guy yes. okay so cool. ultimately like we all know because we know about prohibition it was an unpopular law people you know yeah most people weren't like yes agreed we want our beer <laughs> exactly and the court system and legal community thought that the jury may actually be lenient towards Capone in a court setting because, like, Capone was providing alcohol and people wanted it, bottom right. line, right? They're like, we don't want to put away this guy who's been giving us the gold and exactly. liquid. Yeah. Exactly. However, remember who I talked about before, tax fraud was something the public couldn't stand for. So while the untouchables were out causing a racket, busting through walls, pouring liquor into the dirt. Being dramatic AF. Yep. Our dude Frank Wilson from the IRS and the Prohibition Department chief, Elmer Irie, were putting in the work that would really get Capone. Leave it to the IRS to ruin somebody's day. (laughs) So, according to Irie, Wilson would sit quietly looking at books for 18 hours a day, seven days a week, forever if he wanted to find something. His diligent efforts eventually led to the discovery of a Greyhound racing track, which, sad, I used to have Greyhounds. The ledger's occasionally mentioned large payments to someone referred to only as Al. So Wilson spent three weeks checking documents and comparing handwriting in the Al notes and was able to find a match via a deposit slip. The handwriting was of a bookkeeper named Shumway who agreed to testify about the subsection of Capone's income. So basically they were like, Capone has never paid taxes. And now we have proof that he has earned from his businesses this huge wad of cash. Right. And he hasn't paid tax on it. So that's how we'll put him away. Not because he murdered people, not yeah. because, you know, all this other I feel stuff. like that's now a big tactic because it's like we can't get him on the murder charges exactly. or the this or the that. It's always tax fraud. Exactly. So there was this other person named Rice, or Rees, who was identified as making large deposits of cash, which he then converted into cashier's checks and then funneled back directly to Capone. So I'm like, money laundering, kind of, sort of? What's the point of that, though? It's so that the money's not trace traceable, basically. Oh, I see. That's what money laundering is, basically. Like, I know, I, I guess I just didn't understand how it erased the money. Because I think a cashier check, I believe, is something that, like, I think it's the same as like a nowadays money order where if you get a money order, it's basically like a $10 bill, but it's a check. You know what I mean? Like, right, like it's get- insured money or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But it's not like taken from Carly's bank account into Kelsey's bank account. It's like 
here. I paid for a money order. Here you go. Right. So it doesn't go through any kind of I, like transaction. I, be- I believe. <laughs> I okay. believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we don't want to tell everybody exactly how to do it. Do your own research when, if you want to launder money. When I was like 17 and I had to pay for stuff and I didn't have a checkbook yet, I would buy money orders. So from yeah. the post office. So my favorite place. Anywho. So this guy, Rees, was also strong-armed into testifying against Capone. And Capone eventually noticed, he was like, wait a minute, where the heck is Shumway and Rees? Like, where'd they go? He, like, noticed oh, they were no. gone. Oh, no. Did he kill them? He, well... Okay, sorry. Go he actually... Me. So they, they disappeared, which we speculate into protective custody is where they actually disappeared. He, like, began to become aware, like, oh, shit, these people are looking into my financials. Like, he had that kind of, like, epiphany. Oh, Al and, Capone did. Okay. Yeah, so then he hired assassins to kill Wilson, who's the one of the people working on the tax <gasps> stuff, but then he called off the hit when he learned that, like, a lot of his thugs and, like, assassins and people working for him were, like, already known. They all knew who these people oh, were, and wow. it would kind of be suspicious, so he was like, okay, I'm just gonna back off and, you know, whatever. So... How do you hire assassins for the FBI? Great or the IRS. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's his. It's probably his own. Not as much for the IRS. Yeah, you know, you can just take one of those out while they're <laughs> doing some spreadsheets, right? The FBI, I feel like <laughs> exactly. Finally, Wilson's Treasury Department case was rock solid. Capone was indicted on twenty-three counts of tax evasion by a grand jury in June, nineteen thirty-one. He was given an 11-year sentence on the brutal prison rock of Alcatraz, and his mighty reign was over. Now, if I can just spoil the movie. Fast forward two minutes if you don't want to hear the spoiling of the Untouchables movie. The way they made this this little piece happen was much more exciting. Basically, in the court scene, you learn that the entire jury is bribed, and then <gasps> Elliot Ness goes to the... Like, he was like, the jury's bribed, the jury's bribed. They have, like, a meeting where it's, like, him and then the two attorneys and then the judge. And the judge is like, I will be the one who decides the jury. And then Elliot Ness to the two attorneys was like, can I, uh, can you, can I have a moment alone? And then next thing you know, the judge is, like, saying to the bailiff to switch the juries. He's like, there's a divorce court going on. Please swap the juries. And then the one attorney's like, what made, what did you say to him? He said that to Ness. The attorney was like, what did you say to him? And he's like, I lied and said that your name was in the books. But he, but there's no proof, but he called his bluff. So that was like the big, like, whoa, like reveal moment. Wait, he said whose name was in the The judge. Oh, shit. Yeah. So but the ju- was the judge actually from? Well, he must have been because yeah. like, I mean, this is the, this is the Hollywood glamorized right. version of it. But he Aww. he he like made a risk, and he's like, "Well, I know your name's in the books." And so then the judge was like, "All right, so oh yeah, shit." I don't think that really happened, but that would have been so, badass, though. Regardless, I know, right? so at twenty eight years old, when this all went down, he was twenty eight years old. Uh huh. So our age. Yep. When that's a no for me. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's like, yeah, like I can't even think about taking down a, a mean person <laughs> that I don't like who's mean to me. This is fucking Elliot Ness was 28 and he like took down or Al- helped take down. He Al- he actually didn't. He yeah. didn't take down Al Capone. It was the Wilson and um, yeah, but he other assisted. Guy. Exactly. So he kind of like found himself as this like celebrity figure and 
people like referred to him as the man who brought down Capone, but he didn't, you know? So after all of his flashy busts, the real way of bringing down the gangster seemed anticlimactic, which kind of is, but yeah, whatever. I mean, this was served. The untouchables were disbanded and went their separate ways. Ness continued working at Chicago's Prohibition Bureau and was promoted to chief investigator. When Prohibition was repealed in 1933, he became an alcohol tax agent, so interesting, in the Appalachian Mountains of southern Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. It was reported that he actually, like, shut down one illegal bootleg moonshine operation per day. Like, he was like... On On it. it. On it. He was like, Brenda, give me the next one. Yeah. (laughs) I'm done. Next one. Next Next one. one. (laughs) I wonder if he ever drank. Well, so he was then transferred to Cleveland, Ohio in 1934 and was hired as the city's safety director. So he was like in charge of the police and fire departments. He immediately began cleaning up the town. Whoa. So All right. he hired a new team of kind of untouchables, but this time known as the Secret Six, to help clean up the crooked and corrupt officers in Cleveland PD. He also shut down the mob gambling den, the Harvard Club, despite it being technically out of his jurisdiction. This resulted in the arrests of 20 gangsters, and of course the press were there to take his picture, and, you know, the PR machine kept going for him as being this, like, wow. this, like, mobster, you know, justice yeah. dude, whatever. Yeah. So, sadly, Uh-oh. Ness peaked early, and his career in Cleveland began a steep decline in the late 1930s. He failed to secure a conviction on the unsolved Cleveland torso murders, scary, and his shiny good boy reputation took a hit when he went through a messy divorce. He became known as an enthusiastic social drinker. The irony of this was not lost on the press (laughs) and was involved in a drunk driving accident. (gasps) <gasps> and ironically, try to cover this up. So, like, he was all about taking down shitty cops and stuff and corrupt cops. And then he messed up and he was like, let me cover this up. Well, he's just like everybody else. Yeah. Exactly. You have your, your interests. But also, he had more to lose at that point. You think about it, like, at 28, he probably had nothing to exactly. lose. Exactly. Nothing. You know, he didn't have a... I'm assuming since he asked for a team of people who didn't have significant others. I think he was married. Really? Uh-huh. But he got divorced, like, basically after all that stuff. Yeah, well, I can imagine those those kind of things that, like, consume you. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah. Every single, uh, like, true crime show where the like, focus is on the detectives, they're never in a really great marriage. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? I mean, but, and yeah, like, you're, you're essentially dedicating your life to something, right? Yeah. Like, but because he tried to cover this up and, like, all that shit, yeah. he was forced to resign his position as Cleveland's safety director. After this, he was all over the place. He attempted to run as mayor and start businesses, which didn't really work out. He ended up passing away from a heart attack at the age of 54. Whoa, that's way too young. Mm -hmm. But his autobiography was posthumously published and sold over 1.5 million copies and inspired a successful TV series. And 30 years later, The Untouchable Movie starring, starring Kevin Costner was created. And Robert De Niro. And Robert De Niro. The real Ness would be more than happy that his legend as an American hero lived on. 
he was definitely portrayed very positively, you know. That's nice. Books. I mean, that this the shit that you just said was like <laughs> shitty, but like I again, yes, multitudes, yes, definitely, second chances, Contains, yes, uh, yada yada. So finally, a bit of a fun fact. Comic strip artist Chester Gold created Dick Tracy in 1931 and used young Elliot Ness as inspiration, who's like a comic book hero. Oh. Early on, Dick Tracy fought against mobsters like Big Boy, who was obviously like modeled after Al Capone. So it was very closely inspired. Does he have any relation to the Big Boy restaurants? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. So in conclusion, while Elliot Ness and the Untouchables were out smashing distilleries, the seeds of Capone's downfall were actually sewn by small pieces of paper and some hard work. <laughs> and that's <laughs> The Untouchables. Wow, I had never heard about this before. I know, isn't it interesting? When you brought up Untouchables and Al Capone, I thought that they were going to be like the people that protected him. Like, oh, because because yeah. Because I, I, the one thing I do remember about Al Capone, besides the fact that he did serve some time in the Eastern State Penitentiary, is that he was hard to get. Like, yeah. he was hard to get. Yeah. So yeah. that's why they got him on tax stuff. So I thought it was, like, all the people surrounding him. I think he was hard to get because also, like, he just had, like, so many people in his pocket. Like, he was just so rich and he could, you know, he could buy so many people. He could give people, yeah. people money, be protected. I would love to know who's on that other team. Like, who was on that big team of 12 or whatever, was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. They, I wonder how they turned out. Yeah. So... Did they all drink after it? Probably. 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 Like, in the movie, even, it's funny, because, like, the team of Untouchables is only four people. Much more manageable cast. Yeah, and, like, (laughs) and then, like, even the one guy on the team, you see him, like, pull out, like, stored in his stove, like, a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. Like, whatever, you know? So, anywho, but pretty cool. Like, pretty interesting American history. Yeah. Little factoids. So, there you go. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that just, like, it, like, stresses me out so much to think about being, like, either being Ness or being freaking Al-, Al Capone. Like, that's so much pressure. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Man. Wow. Good job, Carl. Thanks, Kelsey. I never knew about this kind of untouchables. I know. Me neither. But, but, yeah. I, but this one's a lot happier, kind of. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> it's a lot happier. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But it's also just kind of cool to, like, glimpse back into those times because it's just... I was talking about this to Tyler. It's like my grandparents weren't even born back in the time of Al Capone yet. So that's, like, before anything I even have any, like, sort of frame yeah. of reference for. You know what I mean? Yeah. They would they would have maybe been, like, little, maybe been, like, little babies in the, in the 30s. Yeah, but still, like... My grandparents were babies in the 30s, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Which is just wild, you know? So Yeah, it's actually insane yeah it's it's so weird it just feels like it was like a minute ago but it's also like forever ago at the same time you know but also we do things like roaring 20s Mm -hmm. parties parties (laughs) what do other countries do as their themed parties what do you guys do yeah i've seen america themed and it's really funny to me yeah wait no actually tell us that that would be cool i would love to hear what parties go on at other in other countries because like (laughs) there's just there's so many to choose from but one of the main party themes is the roaring 20s i think yes because alcohol and yes we love alcohol oh my gosh maggie is like half up and half down on the bed hold on let me help her pause for maggie oh there she is okay we'll help you off in a second maggie do you want to say goodbye do you want to say bye maggie 
Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Maggie. Well, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at By the Letter Pod. And you can email us at By the Letter Pod at gmail.com for suggestions, questions, comments, comments concerns, concerns, advice. Yep. Whatever you want. But um, yeah, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friend. And we love you and have a great day. Yes, you are amazing. You are worth it. You are the best. Best. Bye. Bye. Bye.